You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. It is a privilege and an honor to stand before you and open the word and preach what the Lord has to say to us. Tell someone near you the title of my sermon this morning, Words Matter. The Apostle Paul began the book of Ephesians with a glorious and eternal working of God in Christ for his people, the elect, the chosen, the children of God. From there, he says that he does not cease to give thanks for them, and he remembers them in his prayer so that God will give them the spirit of wisdom to understand the riches of God's glorious inheritance and his immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe, which are those who are called. And those who believe, by extension, include all of us here, this morning, because in fact, we do believe in Jesus, the Christ, our Lord and Savior, as per the Scriptures. Paul then goes on to say that we who believe were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, raised us up to a new life in Christ by the grace of God, through faith in Christ Jesus, which is all a gift from God and not a work that we accomplish. And this salvation, Paul explains, has been poured out to all kinds of people, namely the Gentiles who were once cut off from the promises and blessings of God because they, and probably most of us here, did not belong to Israel, the Jewish nation. But in Christ, we are all now one body joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So there is no longer any distinction between Jew or Gentile. And on this basis, Paul says in chapter 3 that God, on behalf of Gentiles, revealed the mystery of this glorious gospel to Apostle Paul so that he can communicate this gospel to everyone, and not just the Jews. With that level of apostleship and authority vested in Paul by the Lord Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, in chapter 4, urges all of us to walk in a manner worthy of this very calling God has bestowed upon you and me. It is not a cheap calling. It is not a human calling. It is not a small calling. The calling of God given to us required the blood of God. And by that, I mean to say the blood of Jesus Christ, who is truly God. And to walk in a manner worthy of this calling, Paul urges us to do many things in that chapter. And of those things, one of them has an emphasis on how we use our words. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 and 29 says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
and verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pen this letter with an urge to admonish the people of God to refrain from falsehood and corrupting talk and instead focus on speaking the truth and speaking in ways that will build others up appropriately with grace. The Holy Spirit says this through the Apostle Paul because he knows words matter. Brothers and sisters, my goal for us today is to survey some of the scriptures that the Spirit has spoken through the biblical writers and see how our words matter. Or in another way, what is the biblical framework that was in Paul's mind upon which he urges us to speak in line with our new identity in Christ? My hope for us is to, is to walk away this afternoon from service with a strong conviction in the Lord about how we speak and what we say. My desire is for our church to pursue righteousness when we open our mouth and use our tongue to speak. In my study for the sermon, by God's grace, I observed four truths about our words. And the first in that list is this. Our words are revealing about us. Our words are revealing about us. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45 says this, and this is not an unfamiliar verse. And this is Jesus speaking. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, of the heart this, his mouth speaks. The Lord Jesus makes it extremely clear that what you say comes from your heart. What you say is an overflow of your heart. If you ever need to know what someone is about, let them speak freely. Ask them questions. Let them answer. And you'll learn who they are, what they're about, what annoys them, what moves them what motivates them, what discourages them. And the Lord Jesus, in Luke 6, says that a good tree will yield good fruit and a bad tree bad fruit. A bad heart is what we all once had, brothers and sisters. A heart that was callous and dead, unmoved by the things of God. But what does this bad heart look like? Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. And this is what it says. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. This verse, spoken by King David about his enemies, Paul uses in his argumentation in the book of Romans to show the depth of fallen humanity's depravity. So, it is applicable not just to David's enemies, in his time, but to everyone throughout all time who is alienated from the life of God, who has rejected the God of the Bible. 
And what we can see is that those who do not have a new heart for Jesus ultimately have no truth in their mouth. It is all falsehood. They are ultimately unreliable. Now, this isn't to say that they do not speak any truth, but it is to show their condition is ultimately bent towards denying Jesus, who is the truth and the foundation for every other truth. Secondly, their throat is an open grave, meaning they are ready to devour others and kill them with their speech. You can never truly trust the intentions of the natural fallen man as to do good for his neighbor. It isn't. Well, it may be good according to their standard, but it is not according to the Bible. So, yes, our mouth before salvation was an open grave. And thirdly, their flattery is just that. It is fake. Their praise and admiration towards others is ultimately rooted in their self-interest and not for the benefit of the one receiving their words. Their inmost self is truly destruction. That is the heart and the mouth of the unregenerate. In contrast, however, for the Christian, we have a different heart. We have a new heart, a heart that seeks the things of God and by implication ought to produce a different mouth. Romans chapter 8, verses 15. And this is what it says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In Romans, Paul says how we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we, have cry, we cry, Abba, Father. And earlier, he speaks of the spirit being poured out into our hearts so that even during trials, we rejoice in suffering, knowing that it produces endurance, and which then produces character, which then produces hope. And I believe the underlying message Paul gets at in those two passages when it talks about the Spirit being poured out into our hearts is that we no longer fear, but we have hope. We cry, Abba, Father, because He is our hope. And if He is our hope, we will not fall back into fear. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for what? For the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In this context, the apostle Peter says that we should be ready to make a defense when anyone challenges us about the hope that is in us. One of the clear ways we can distinguish a person of faith from an unrepentant individual is a mouth that speaks with hope. Church, ask yourselves, what kind of language do you use when you speak about your life circumstances? We know God has not promised us an easy life free of pain, but He has promises that His grace will be sufficient in that hour. So, how do we speak about those scenarios to ourselves and others? How do we speak when we hear about a terrible predicament? What do we say when we are told about 
For example, the corruption in our governments. How do we react when we see the decay in our society? Do we swallow it and just say there's no hope anymore? And Lord, take my life and let me be with you forever in heaven? Or do we believe and confess that God is still sovereign and that He has good plans for His people and that He will preserve you in the midst of suffering and death and that He will keep His remnant people? Church, we are a people of hope, filled with hope. So we must end all of our speeches, all of our conversations with hope, and not, and not fear, never fear. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Why is salt important? Well, we know it preserves food and enhances the flavor. Jesus himself calls us the salt of the earth. And here Paul is telling us that our speech need to be seasoned with salt. That is the mark of a Christian's words. It is gracious and understanding, preserving and not destroying like the words of the unregenerate. Dear ones, we need to look at how we speak. Because what we say reveals who we are. And the question at this point that we must ask ourselves is this. Do my words reflect a heart that has been made alive in Christ, who is our hope of glory and who's also full of grace and truth? Do our words contain truth, grace, and hope? If not, we need to reevaluate ourselves and ask God to sanctify our mouths by His Word and Spirit. So, our words are revealing about us. Secondly, when we look through the Scriptures, God says that our words are impactful to us. Our words are impactful to us. Let me get this out of the way and say this. Our words are not powerful inherently to create something out of nothing like God created the universe, okay? Our words are not powerful to declare something into reality. That's not what the Scripture teaches about our words. If anything, the Scripture says, the Holy Spirit says that if we ask anything in Jesus' name, so there's a clause there, in Jesus' name or according to God's will, it will be done according to God's will. Not our will, but according to His. So when our words agree with the plan of God, it will come to fruition. Speaking into existence for success or good health or as some word of faith or hyper-charismatic movement teaches will not bring your declaration into reality because it may not be God's will. Instead, God tells us, come to Him with all of your needs and earnestly seek Him and pray, God, hear my plea. Nevertheless, let your will be done. And God will answer your prayer about that specific subject according to His will. With that said, 
Words are still indeed powerful to a point. They are impactful. One of the ways we can think of this is words have the power to bring healing or be harmful. Words have the power to bring healing or be harmful. I'm going to give you five verses to support this. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 9 says this, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge of the righteous are delivered. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 18, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs chapter 16 verses 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 18 verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. How many of us have been blessed by someone else's words? Okay. How many of us have blessed others with our words? How many of us have been hurt by someone's words? And how many of us have been perpetrators of hurting others with our words? This is what the Bible means when it says that there is power in what we say. Our words, brothers and sisters, have the power to build up someone in the Lord or bring down their spirit. This is why gossip and slander are perfect ingredients to bring about the ruin of a united body. What once was a luscious garden of fellowship and trust can quickly become a parched land soaking in the heat of bitterness when people carelessly speak about each other. And until someone comes, namely the Holy Spirit working in and through people to cultivate that very land and prepare the soil again and plant a new seed for new life of fellowship and trust, it'll remain a distant memory of what it once was. So it is with all relationships, familial, platonic, and romantic. When gossip, slander, or any careless or godless word, words enter the conversation. On the other hand, words that are truthful, graceful, and hopeful will strengthen the bonds of a community. That's why in discipleship, we must be transparent with each other and confess our sins truthfully so that we may find grace in community and hope for sanctification and be healed. And if you are someone who has experienced gossip against you or are worried that if you share something transparently, gossip will happen, and for those reasons you're avoiding to be transparent with your blood-bought church family, you are not being biblically balanced. Okay? God truly does call people to not gossip and He will hold them accountable. At the same time, there are enough verses that say God is calling us to confess to one another so that we can find healing. Both are true. How many of us in some context, have been through rough patches with people we care about and have come out stronger because we were transparent, honest, truthful, gracious, and hopeful with each other. 
That's the story of the church. That is the power of our words, dear ones. If you ever feel hurt by someone's words, especially in the church, approach them personally and let them know how you're hurt. Granted, okay, there may be those edge cases where a certain brother or sister gets hurt too easily by any word spoken, and that's a different kind of matter. But putting that aside and assuming that there truly was a word spoken that was hurtful, go and speak to them directly. Don't, don't engage with others to talk about it unless it requires a group confrontation as prescribed by Jesus in Matthew 18. Be careful to never let bitterness grow when hurt. And those who have truly hurt someone with their words, be quick to apologize and move forward. Why? Because words have the power to heal or hurt others. Something else we can see is that words have the power to cultivate life or promote death. Words have the power to cultivate life or promote death. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So let me turn my attention to the married folks. Husbands and wives, how do you talk to each other when you are upset? Anytime you speak to each other in negative absolutes or with no hope or with regret of being married in that moment or threatened with divorce, you are literally promoting death to your marriage. Not saying there cannot be heated, you know, arguments in a righteous way, but there can't ever be anything righteous about intentionally speaking death into your marriage to express your anger or vent about a situation when God is the one who has joined you both in the first place. Do not use venting as a mechanism to speak without any filters. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, so your mouth should not speak like those who are still caught in darkness in any situation. That's the standard of holiness for the Christian. How often do you lie to quickly resolve a situation at home and pacify the offended? If there is a disagreement and it's worth discussing, don't lie and pretend there isn't something to work on, but work through it together with an attitude of compromise and a pursuit for continued covenantal love. Use your words and tone in marriage with care because you, you, will, you will eat its fruit. Parents, how do you speak to your children when they disappoint you? Do you discipline with an unbridled tongue and harsh words or... Do you discipline by first, obviously, enabling them to face their consequences, but more importantly, by clearly calling out their sin, leading them in repentance, helping them to love the standard of biblical morality that you enforce in your home, and then share your hope of Jesus, who is the only one who can actually fully live up to the biblical morality at home. Brothers and sisters, to everyone, how do you speak with each other? How do you speak with each other? Are you someone that people can come to for encouragement 
and strength and correction and gracious honesty? Not flattery. Or are you someone who sucks the air out of the room with self-pity or sensual or distasteful jokes or inconsiderate comments or overcritical perspectives? Use your words with care because you will eat its fruit. Words impact us for better or for worse, not just in our homes, not just in our churches, but also in society. These days, it has become more obvious that we, the church, are at war with the world for the language they employ to shield themselves from being judged for their ignorance to sin and normalize their inescapable love for sin. Abortion, rightly understood as the murder of the innocent and most vulnerable unborn child, is discussed as a woman's right to reproductive health care. Racism, rightly understood as prejudice, discrimination, or hatred towards any group for their skin color, is now only or mostly applicable to those groups who are dominant in culture or have some kind of power. Socialism, rightly understood as the public theft of private property, is championed as the ideal means to reduce poverty and help society. Transgender activism, rightly understood as the confusion of maleness and femaleness, is evangelized as a person's right to exist. Homosexual and all other unbiblical romantic lifestyles, rightly understood from the biblical text as immoral behaviors, are paraded now with a slogan that says, Love is love. Marriage, rightly understood as a union between one man and one woman, is fought over as a right to equality for all kinds of relationships. Divorce, rightly understood as a violent separation of whom God has joined together, is understood as, quote-unquote, falling out of love. Motherhood, rightly understood as raising a legacy, is now considered limiting for a woman's potential. Fatherhood, rightly understood as godly, protective, and wise authority, is ridiculed as dummies with no spine in many movies and TV shows. Pornography, rightly understood as evil and dehumanizing, is tolerated as educational in some state schools. Prostitution, rightly understood as a way to hell, is accepted as a career path. The separation of church and state, rightly understood as two separate institutions under God, is endorsed as a separation between God and state. Christianity, rightly understood as the only faith with a self-evident promise for human flourishing and joy in Jesus Christ, is caricatured as an oppressive, misogynistic, and white supremacist tool to convert the world by force. 
Brothers and sisters, there is a battle for our language in our culture. We are at war with the world. And by world, I don't mean individuals in the world. I mean the worldly perspectives and beliefs people hold from the world on reality, morality, and all the rest that do not align with the Scriptures. It is absolutely disappointing and troubling to have professing Christians think that the world is neutral, that pronouns in our bio are not that big of a deal, that filthy music on the lips of a believer have no impact, that social media bite-sized commentary is the ultimate source for enlightenment. Our world speaks in euphemisms to distort what is clear, desensitize what is evil, and distract us from what is important. And when, please hear me, when this is successful, as per the scriptures, our culture will be drinking from a sewage that goes downstream into the pits of hell. Everything that God has instituted for the basic flourishing of humanity will be up for debate. In your classrooms, in your TV shows, in your music, and, and if unchecked, in our churches and our homes. Our words matter, church. If you speak like the world, then you are cultivating a culture of death in your life. But God, like we saw earlier, called us to be the salt of the earth. And and we can be the salt of the earth. We can have words that are seasoned with salt by the grace of God. We can speak truthfully, graciously, and hopefully hopefully, and not succumb to the euphemisms the world employs to promote a culture of death. We, the church, are called to preserve and cultivate a culture of life. We are the people of God, connected, not alienated, connected to the life of God, saved by Jesus Christ, who is himself life. And in him, we can overcome the world. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That is our hope. Our hope is that believers will finally, at the end of the day, overcome the world. We are overcomers, so talk like an overcomer. Talk like a Christian. Don't engage in conversations or discussions that are okay with euphemistic languages from the world. Challenge it with the truth. Be gracious about it and be hopeful about what is good in this world. Speak Life, because you belong to the one who is life, and you have life. Our words have power to either cultivate life or to promote death. And because they are the scriptures, do not forget to tell us that our words are controllable by God. Our words are controllable by God. James chapter 1, verse 26 says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James says that we need to control our tongue. 
And if we don't, we're not really a Christian. That means, as per the Bible, it is definitely possible to control the tongue. But what does a bridled tongue look like? Well, if you go back a few verses in that same chapter from the book of James, this is what he says in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. A bridal tongue is a tongue that is slow to speak and refrains itself from speaking too much. How many times could we have avoided painful situations if we had just taken the moment to calm down, right? Listen intently to the other person and then slowly speak and not with haste. Today, we don't just use our mouth to speak. We, use our, we, we write online. We write on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, social media, group chats. And we use that as an outlet to speak away our thoughts and ideas. But how often have we considered to not speak with haste on any subject when we post online? These days, if you don't speak fast enough against an issue, then you're seen as someone for it. Well, Christians don't live by the standard of the social media platforms or the culture they're in. We live by the standard of the Bible, and the Bible says, don't be pressured by social media to post quickly about anything. The Bible says you can be slow, and God will be happy with you. Dear ones, ask yourselves, have you shared a news headline without reading the content? I have. Were there times you formed an opinion without getting more information? Are you someone who cares to have the last word in every debate, in every argument? Do you like your voice to be front and center of a conversation at the cost of other people's voices? Are we careful, brothers and sisters, about how we speak about someone who may have hurt us in the past. We need to think twice before we speak about anything. We must be slow to speak. Titus chapter 3, verse 2 says, To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, <clears throat> to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Brothers and sisters, we should avoid speaking evil of anyone and be gentle instead. Today, it is so easy to slip and demonize the other side and burn every bridge for conversation and end up quarreling with each other. Social media, in my opinion, has been a catalyst for people to freely demonize groups and individuals who don't align with them because you're behind a screen. It makes it so much more easier to sin. Now, with that said... We don't want to be a pacifist, right? The Bible is balanced. Psalm chapter 37, verse 30. And this is what it says. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, 
and his tongue speaks justice. If you are a Christian and you fear God, then if you fear the Lord, you have the beginning of wisdom as per the Bible. And if you follow the biblical laws of God, you know from the scriptures what is just and what is evil. So as a Christian, you should speak with wisdom and you should speak justly. Or in application, you should speak against the ideas espoused by others that are evil and unjust. You should rebuke those who profane God by incorrectly representing Him. For example, if a professing Christian says that abortion is okay and everyone will go to heaven, clearly you should rebuke them with the Scriptures. And in general, call all people to repentance and faith in Christ, which is an offensive message to many who hear it. So it's both true. There is a world of difference between speaking evil of someone for the, for the sake of it versus speaking about the evil of or from someone. One is meant to be malicious and the other is meant to be just. As a believer, you need to be gentle and avoid silly quarrels with people so that you don't speak evil about them anyway. But then there are other times you need to preach the offensive and gracious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the precepts that come along with it. Namely, calling evil evil and good good. We must have a balance with the words we speak like the Bible says we should. In both cases, however, we still need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Now the question is, the key question is, can we actually control, can we actually control ourselves, the words that come out of our mouth? The answer is no. The answer is no. James goes on to say in chapter 3 that our tongue is like a fire that can consume us if not used properly, and that no one is able to tame our tongue. But again, the Bible is balanced. There is someone who can do that. Psalm chapter 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Beautiful. Our God in heaven is here for you, dear brother and sister. He can help guard you. He can help guard your mouth from speaking lies, gossip, hatred, or anything that is not of his kingdom. He can help you find boldness like Peter did on the day of Pentecost to speak against the kingdom of the devil and stand as the light of the world, illuminating the surrounding darkness with the words of God. Our words are controllable not by us, but by God. And lastly, what we can observe from Scripture about what we say is this. Our words are accountable to God. Our words are accountable to God. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37 says this, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking, I tell you on the day of judgment, People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The context of this particular portion is this. Jesus just healed a demonically possessed man. 
Okay? And the Pharisees said that Jesus did the healing with the power of another demon. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, rebuked them for their hardened hearts and unbelief. He took their words as blasphemy against the Spirit of God who empowered Jesus to do the miracles. In that moment in human history, the Pharisees, they had all the evidence to believe that Jesus was literally God in flesh. But they rejected him anyway. And out of the abundance of their heart, and that's where we get that verse, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of their heart, because they were a bad tree, they confessed that Jesus is a fake, a phony. He's not truly God. He's just doing miracles with the power of the devil. Hence why Jesus says, they will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come because their words have shown that they do not believe that Jesus is Lord. And upon that careless confession, they will be condemned by God. In application for today's context, this is for you, my friend, who does not believe in Jesus. You are accountable for your confession about Jesus. Everyone has a confession about him. And if your confession today is to not believe in Jesus as Lord, despite the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner in light of God's holiness and there is a judgment coming, then your careless confession is enough for you to be condemned by God. Your words matter to God, my friend. And in particular, your confession of who is Jesus matters to God. You're either for Him or against Him. You either confess Him as Lord and Savior or you confess Him as someone else, a mere prophet or a teacher or some myth. If you confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life in this age, like the Pharisees, then you will face the judgment of God in the next age, like the Pharisees. Turn to faith in Christ. Trust in Him who lived for you and died for your sins and bodily resurrected to validate His claim as Lord and Savior of all. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says this, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Church, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, because of your confession about Jesus being the Lord and Savior of your life, you will be saved. You are justified and you stand right before a holy and living God. And praise the Lord upon the, upon the words of your confession, God has accounted to you the very righteousness of Jesus and imputed to Jesus your sin. Jesus carried the cross, died a gruesome death, at the hand of sinners and the heavy weight of God's wrath for you. He now lives to make intercession for you and ensure that you will continue, you will continue to confess 
that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. Think about this. Every morning you wake up and give thanks to God, what's the guarantee you will, right? Every morning you wake up and give thanks to God and are cognizant of God's presence throughout the day, it is because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, faithful to finish what He has begun in you, the salvation of your soul. Your words of godly confession was the working of the Spirit planned by God the Father and accomplished by God the Son. And you will be held accountable by your words of confession in the Lord. And that is a blessing. That is a blessing. Words are important. Words are important to God. Words matter. And so they must matter to you. They must matter to me. They must matter to us. In Romans 14, verse 11, it says that one day, everyone, willingly or forcefully, will bend their knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Dear ones, today we surveyed the scriptures and observed that our words are revealing about us. Our words are impactful to us. Our words are controllable by God. Our words are accountable to God. With this framework in mind about the words we speak, we need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has bestowed upon us as Paul urges us to do in Ephesians chapter 4, our main passage. If you call yourself a Christian, but your mouth speaks like an unregenerate, worldly, uncontrollable, pharisaical mouth, then are you really a Christian who has a changed heart? Ask the Holy Spirit today to identify which area of those four you lack and ask for His grace to give you the strength to be better at using your words. Walk in a manner worthy of God's calling on your life, or in the context of our time together this day, speak in a manner worthy of the calling of God. May the good Lord bless our mouth and empower our speech with His Spirit to use words of truth, grace, and hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today seeking your will. God, we know that you have called us with a great calling. You have chosen, before, you have chosen us before the foundation of the world. You have sent your Son Jesus to live for us and die for us. You have raised him up and give, given us his hope of resurrection that one day we too will be transformed with a new body no longer plagued by our sinful flesh. You have poured out your Holy Spirit into our hearts at the appointed time so that we might call you Abba, Father, and have hope inside of us in any and all situations. God, we thank you for this great salvation. Lord, we pray now that we will walk in a manner worthy of this great gospel calling. We pray especially for our mouth. We pray our words would be seasoned with salt 
ready to build others up in the ways of the Lord, ready to be slow to speak and quick to listen, ready to avoid quarrels and gossip and any unholy conversation, ready to stand for truth and speak justly against sin and evil and your holiness and for your holiness, ready to preach the gospel of your grace and bring hope to a broken and sinful world. We want our words to be sanctified this day and every day forward. Only you can tame our tongue. Sanctify it now, Lord, with your word and spirit. God, we bless you for your written word and our time together in it. We ask all these things in the name of your holy son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.